Hello and welcome to The Big Chat. We get to speak to people about what inspires them, what drives them, what got them into business, how they found it. And some of these people you might know, some of these people you might not, but there's always a nugget of gold in every conversation I have. As an instructor, I understand the journey of a class. Yes. And as a DJ, it's really hard because the way that DJs want to mix music is they want to keep like a, a, a like a specific BPM, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the pace kind of stays the same. Whereas as an instructor, we need a journey. You can't have somebody, you know, doing 60 minutes at 126 BPM because you would just die on the bike. It's also brought um, the most fascinating uh, new experiences, humans and people into my life, as well as one major thing, and that is um, the ability to see how I can help and support other people, men and women, um, in life and business. You know, I am one of those people, if I do something, I'll do it properly. I'll stick with it. Yeah. I'll see it through. And I guess I just, you know, I put myself in the right position. I I met the right people Mm. and sort of planned, planned my career. Yeah. You know? The Big Chat is all about collaboration and giving people in our towns the time to have their say their way. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Big Chat. Um, This will be the first episode of 2023 coming to you uh, Friday the... I'm not good with dates, I'm not going to go there. But it's the first one of the new season. And I have wanted to get this person on for so long. She is so inspirational. She is so amazing. She also happens to be one of my dearest, bestest friends who was gifted to me from above um, a long, long time ago. And we'll go into that. But she's also incredibly inspirational. Anna, Anna Britt. Um, and currently hold up in One Warwick Park. Thank you for looking after her so nicely um, because I am quarantined at home at Christmas. <laughs> She's meant to be with me. I'd love to introduce you to the very beautiful Antonia Blythe. Hello, Antonia. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> can, I just say, can I just say that when I woke up, I don't think they were asleep, to be fair, but when I called the receptionist at this hotel... At 4.45 a.m. They were so nice to me that I have to give them massive credit. My jet lag is obviously like the most antisocial thing in the world. They were so nice. And then they delivered breakfast to me in bed. Which is your perfect thing, right? We know that. Favourite thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for for those that don't know you and they're like, who is this beautiful bean? Um, Tell people that are listening a bit about you, Antonia Blythe. What do you do and where are you from? Um, okay, so are we going to talk about how we know each other later? And then, yeah. Okay, we'll get to that. But it now, just um, roll. I'm from Norfolk, lived in London for 10 years and then randomly moved to LA in 2006. Um, bit of a, you know, one of those now or never type weird decisions. Um and now I work at uh, entertainment trades. It's a bit like maybe people have heard of Variety or The Hollywood Reporter. That's like, those are our sister publications. 
So basically, I interview actors uh, and sometimes directors, but that's my job. I love the way you play that down. I get so excited when I go to LA and see you. I'm like, ah! You're like, oh, it's so embarrassing. Please, come on. Um, It's a reaction to um, the enthusiasm that the average American has. I have to stay very British, otherwise I'll be fully assimilated. (laughs) Yeah, I get, I'm so confused though, because I know I've told you this before, but when you live overseas, you get sort of weirdly warped about coming home. Like you forget the weird little um, ways that people talk and the phrases and the normal ways of behaving. So I know I've told you the story before about how I once opened the door of my friend's house because the postman was there and I was still in my American mode. I'd sort of forgotten how to be in England. And I went, hi, and he (laughs) jumped about six feet and looked really frightened. Because I was being so friendly. Anyway, today I was leaving, what's it called? Um, natural Fit. Natural Fit, big shouts. Natural yeah. Fit. Jamie for looking after Antonia. Another shout out. So nice. They were so nice. Jamie was so nice to me. Um, yeah. And anyway, I was leaving and one of the staff said to me, have a good day, like that. But in a way that was so British, like, so that I didn't even understand what he'd said. Yeah. And I went, what? And he went, I said, have a good day. And I went, oh, thank you. You know, I just lost my, <laughs> like, what is happening? I've just lost all ability to talk to people normally because my, I'm culturally confused. Anyway, that was a change. Land back in the UK yesterday. Yeah. So. told 24 hours earlier that you weren't coming to stay with me. Yeah, it's sort of been a bit sad that I'm not staying with you, but we will survive it. So what has inspired you about, I mean, look, there's so much to talk about. I know your story, but you've been over there for a long time now, haven't you? You've got dual citizenship, haven't you, in the States Mm -hmm. and in the UK. Um, I mean, should we tell people how we know each other? Yeah, so I'm trying to remember when the incident when we first met but I think it might have been at heaven the club on a Friday night sometime in the 90s (laughs) 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 I think that I remember meeting you in the queue outside with Robert so that's yeah that's a photo of our lovely friend Robert who has passed away but um Yeah. yeah I met Robert because he Tempt with my ex-boyfriend in some horrible office in Hoban and we were kids you know we were, I was like 18 and Robert and I became really good friends and we got rid of my ex-boyfriend because we were like oh you're you know we're we're gonna go out forget you <laughs> <laughs> um and it was on one of those many, many clubbing nights in around probably like 1996, 97, um, that I think he had brought you along because you were a regular part of his crew, shall we say. <laughs> the Tumbridge Wells crew. Yeah. And um, obviously we were fast friends. And then you were working in a clothing boutique at the time and I remember coming to Tunbridge Wells and you were wearing these amazing clothes and working in this little boutique and I don't know what it was called but it's not there anymore oh. but it's so cute clock it was clock 
it was Kip, mm. C-L-O-Q. Yeah, he was like an amazing man that gave me an opportunity to basically run and buy his clothes shop for him. I mean, like he's just, like, how does that happen, right? Do you know what I mean? It was just crazy. It's and, so yeah. cute, yeah. And I Rob obviously had the Italian Rob had the Italian wardrobe as well. So we both had kind of like Aladdin's cave, didn't we? It was so fun. I <laughs> remember going to the Italian wardrobe and sort of helping Rob sell clothes in there and persuading people to spend <laughs> copious amounts of money. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. Um, so there were, just as we're talking about Robert, because there is, I mean, you helped him with a bit of homework now and again. Let's just leave it there. But it was I've like... about that, yeah. Yeah, writing's always been your passion, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's one of those things. It's the sort of brain you have, whether you find words easy or not. And it's not about intelligence at all. It's just about the way your brain is put together. So mm-hmm. for some people, words don't really click for them on the page it's just not doesn't really resonate and for other people that stuff just flows um and you know it's the same as if you were really just naturally good at sport or something like that it just comes easy to you if if you're one of those really coordinated people so I don't know I was talking to a friend about neurodiversity the other day we were talking about um dyslexia and dyspraxia and how awful it is that people that where it doesn't click and it's really difficult it was associated with having a different intelligence level and that's just nonsense Mm. so yeah I have always found that easy so it's probably a bit lazy because it was just the path of least resistance (laughs) rather than you know trying to do maths or something you've been (laughs) modest you've been very modest you're a very good writer as as you've You've got, you've got, you've got a couple, you know, book, book, book under the belt. And uh, what is it you love about your job the most? What is it that inspires you the most about what you do? Um, Honestly, the reason I interview famous people is only because that's what people want to read. Um, I don't, you know, I could just as happily interview, you know, the person on the street or, in fact, I did used to do that when I worked at Just 17. I would go up to random strangers on the street and ask them stuff. And my first ever job in magazines was what we used to call real life stories. And it was still one of my favourite jobs I've ever had because I was just talking to people that weren't famous and, you know, never had any aspirations to be famous, but something weird had happened to them. And so I'd have this experience of finding them and then approaching them and trying to get them to talk about themselves when they really weren't used to that. And mm. that to me is what it's all about. Cause I just have always been really nosy and I really like <laughs> <most of> questions. <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of arbitrary that that the people I ask questions of are well known. That's just what what it's people just- want to read. Um, but you know. I'd, I'd just ask all those niggly, intrusive questions to anyone if I was allowed to. I mean, I love your nosiness. It's brilliant. You're like my super sleuth. I it's mean, like- yeah, I used to be more of a sleuth when I was a news reporter, but 
Not anymore. We could have been like private detectives together. I reckon we would have made a good team. Do you think? What would you be in charge of? I, let's be honest. You are? I'm not very subtle. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, but maybe it would work really well. Like you could go in and, and bamboozle people. <laughs> you know. And then you could just be in the background like. Oh, I would be at home on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's my personality. I'll be at home with my pajamas on behind a screen. Be fine. But we both like that too, don't we? Both of us. We'd be we'd be in place together right now if we could be together, that's for sure. Um okay, so you've like also launched your own podcast. It's a podcast show. So can you tell us a bit about that? That would be interesting. So my podcast is called 20 Questions on Deadline. Um, and it's something I cooked up because what we do at Deadline is, is um, you know, really industry specific. It's a bit, as, as Americans would say, inside baseball. And what that means for the uninitiated is it makes sense to the people inside the circle. And it's not consumer based. Yeah. It's trade. So I, coming from consumer magazines, am always looking for the popularist angle because I I just can't help it. You know, I grew up reading magazines and working in magazines. And so I thought, well, we've got this access to these people that is amazing because when you work for a trade, you can talk to anyone you want because they're not afraid that you're going to ask them about their love life or anything. They just go, yes, sure, I'll talk to you guys. Because if you if you're an actor in Hollywood and you have an interview in a trade that has cachet, or especially I work on the awards magazine, and if you are hoping to get nominated for an Oscar, that is going to help your case if you're in our magazine because it's read by voters. And so I thought, well, I've got this access. And then this was sort of bubbling away in the back of my mind. And then I had um, Michael Douglas on the phone. And we were talking about the Kaminsky Method, his Netflix show. And one of my questions, we have this article in our magazine that's a bit more consumer friendly. And it's called On My Screen. And it's a few general questions about that person's career. But it includes things like, what are your desert island movies and what are the films that make you cry and stuff like that and one of the questions is what's on your karaoke playlist (laughs) and Michael Douglas named a song I've never heard of but he just started singing it at me so somewhere on my phone there's a tape of Michael Douglas singing to me and I just thought why haven't I got a podcast right now in this moment because this is comedy gold and I can't translate that into print how am I going to put that in the magazine (laughs) there are loads of loads of occasions like that and my first ever guest on the podcast was Jennifer Coolidge who if you aren't familiar with her is the woman in the white lotus Tanya but she was also of course Stifler's mum in American Pie she's brilliant she is a legend she came into the office into our podcast studio and uh she was I mean she just is have you seen the white lotus yeah she is Tanya (laughs) and I asked her about it and I was like 
um, you know, one of my questions was, what's the character that you've played who's most like you in real life? And she goes, oh, Tanya from The White Lotus. And I was like, Jennifer, are you sure? Like, that's not very flattering. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, well, you know, it is actually based on me because Mike White, who created uh, the show, went on a safari with Jennifer Coolidge before any of the White Lotus stuff happened. And he saw her on holiday in that context and he decided to write a character that's based on her. So, yeah, she came in. That was my first ever guest. I had fallen on my face the week before, which is a whole other story. So I had a big plaster on my chin. (laughs) And I just thought, well, never mind. I'll just brazen it out. What am I going to do? So I go in. And Jennifer Coolidge, um, I don't think I can do a good impression of her, but it was something like, oh, what's happened here? (laughs) (laughs) And and then at the end, she was so... I did it doing it like that, kind of like... What is that? What is that? Yes. And then at the end, she said something like, something so sweet, it was something like, you're such a badass for coming to work with a band-aid on your face. It, I don't mm. use the word badass, but it was something really sweet and it really made me feel so much better. <laughs> but anyway, I'm digressing. In my podcast, there are some really fun questions that I love asking people. And <gasps> I have three questions out of those 20 that I thought I'd throw at you. Oh, I love a question. Okay. So who is your dream dinner companion, living or dead? Probably Marilyn Monroe. Have you seen that film, Monroe? No. (laughs) Don't. don't. Anyway. (laughs) Don't watch it. Um. What would you ask her if you were at dinner with her? What would you I talk about? Intrigued by her um, on many levels, you know, and obviously, like as we have discussed in great depth, you and I are very similar but very different. I'm not a great researcher. I like go with the flow much more, and um, I don't know. I just feel like she was an a kind of bit of a lost soul, and um, you know, she had to use some of her womanly do you know what I mean charisma to to get where she was and um it was a sad ending and I just I'd like to ask her about who she really was you know not Mm. just who was for the cameras but who she really was and what she really felt and and actually just give her a hug because I reckon that's what she could have done quite frankly was a big fat hug not just also also ask her what happened with JFK while you're there Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like blowing mm. up candles for JFK, you know. It's like she was. Um, she was Gemini as well. Just get the soul Gemini thing. Anton and I are both Gemini's. For anyone that even yeah. is interested. Um, <laughs> but no, she's. Yeah, I just think Marilyn Monroe. I have a picture of her hanging in my front room, and that would be my person. That would be it. Do you know that answer? Is that good enough? That's a, that's a great answer. I I've never thought about this myself. I once had a, who was it? Oh, who would be yours? Who would be yours? Well, well do you watch Succession, the TV no. show? 
Oh uh, well, I had the guy from that, Kieran Colkin, on my podcast, and he was really resistant to being questioned at first, and then he sort of got into it. Um, and he turned out to be one of my best guests I've ever had. He was brilliant. <laughs> but he started sort of having a go at me, going, Well, well, what would you do? What's your answer? And I was like, No one cares what my answer is. We're interviewing <laughs> you. And he was like, yeah, but you, what kind of journalist are you that you're asking me this question and and you haven't thought about the answer yourself? And I was just like, yeah, whatever, come on, just answer. <laughs> but anyway, and we were joking. He, we were having a laugh. But so I just, on that note, haven't yeah. actually thought who would be my dream dinner companion. Do you know what? Maybe someone like Sigmund Freud. Mm. You know, because I could just ask all kinds, just, I'd be like Sigmund, bottom line it for me. What's this? You'd about? be like headline. Give me the headlines. Yeah, bottom line it, Sigmund. Um, okay, the second question for you. Okay. What's the weirdest job you've ever had? <laughs> I mean, um, I've had many weird jobs and wonderful, but honestly, the one that comes to mind when you say that was. I worked in Dorothy Perkins, which um, was a high street shop. You remember Dorothy Perkins back in the day. Is it not around anymore? No. See, this is what happens when you live abroad. Everything is frozen in time. I don't even know. Whatever. I probably shouldn't know that. See, all these things are still there somewhere. There There was one in the high street in Tunbridge Wells, and I remember I had to get a job. And I got this job and I went in and I went in for, a I don't know, assistant manager position. I was about 18 or something like that, you know, maybe it's before my clock days. And um, I remember them saying to me, <laughs> you've got to wear a uniform. And I was like, what? Okay. You- and it was a bit like, you know, when you're like at school where you're not supposed to wear skirts that are a certain length, they were like, yeah, your skirt has to be over your knees. And you have to wear shoes, but you can't wear platform shoes. Like, you remember me back in the day, yeah. a bit of a hippie goth. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm shocked that they had a uniform. I managed a day. <laughs> I did a day, and then I met my boyfriend at the time, a great guy called Marcus Welsh. I met him at the end of the day in the precinct, wearing the most uncomfortable clothes I'd ever worn all day. Thank you, Dorothy Perkins, for the opportunity, but no thank you. I was done. Oh I was out. God. Those shoes were like wearing no, blocks of you. ice. Uh-uh. No. Oh, I've had so many horrible work outfits. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're young and you're like doing all kinds of weird temperature yeah. jobs and working. Like so many shops I worked in where I was just wearing stuff I hated. I can't handle it. One of the greatest things about getting older is not having to wear stuff that you don't want to wear. I mean, I did dress up <laughs> Santa Claus last week and introduce, like go on stage with Panto, so I can't really lie. I still well, quite like it. that doesn't count. Santa's for the kids, so <laughs> do it for the kids. Um, I'm my son- think, what, what what is my? All I can see is your hand. Sorry, darling, it's because my son's trying to ring me. Look, super cool. I told him I'm recording. It's okay. Um, I was trying to remember, I'm just trying to think what would be my weirdest job I've ever had. Ooh, how long have you got? Um, (laughs) How long have we got? I mean, okay, 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 okay. When I worked at 
No, that was a joke when I said, how long have you got? (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, Okay, I'll I'll just condense it to a couple of examples because there's so many. (laughs) One, I worked as a chef in Australia when I'd never worked in a kitchen in my life. I lied to get the job because I was like desperate and I said I'd done it before and they put me on the first shift was Sunday brunch, which is every cook or chef's nightmare. Um, so yeah, there's that. You don't want to know what happened. Um, I also, when I was 15, no, 16, my school sent me to an RAF base to do like basic. I didn't know this. Trainings. You don't know this story? No. Oh, God. <laughs> So they sent they sent a bunch of us there, and in exchange for doing sort of chores and little pieces of this and that cleaning and stuff, they would take us up in a plane and give us a parachute jump, and then they put us up in a glider. I was 16, and I'm not talking about a tandem jump. I'm talking about a solo jump. So... <laughs> My Dorothy Perkins story is just so underrated. Well, I'm sure you've got more, but they're probably like not X-rated. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, so there were three days of classes before this parachute jump. Obviously, I didn't pay any attention because I was a 16-year-old kid and I didn't care. And so the day came when they were going to take us up in the plane. And it's one of those planes that's missing a side. It's just open. Brilliant. And they took us to 200 feet. And they went, this is how big the trees will look by the time that you should start steering your parachute. And then it carried on going up. We get to 2,000 feet and they're like, right, you're up. And because my last name is at the beginning of the alphabet, I was the second to jump. (laughs) And I was like, hang on, what, what, what? (laughs) You want me to jump out of that hole? (laughs) I hadn't been paying any attention. Anyway, I did it. And there were ha- and my chute deployed the way it's supposed to do and everything. And there are handles on the side of your parachute that you pull to go literally left, right, left, right. The girl behind me got it all confused, ended up in a sugar beet be- field a mile down the road. They had to drive off and go and get her. <laughs> <laughs> I did okay. I didn't, you know, break my legs or anything. Good. Um, and then the last, wait, there was one other... Oh, yeah. When I was a reporter in LA before I had the job I have now, a long time ago, I worked for Us Weekly, which is a bit like People magazine. And I got told by my boss one day, uh, we want you to go on the set of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, because Catherine Heigl's been in trouble and we think she's going to get fired. We're hearing that she's going to get fired. And I was like, oh, God. So they snuck me onto the set. They had an insider that put my name on a list at the security gate. And my boss leaves me this message going, right, I want you to arrive at this time. Tell them you work, you're going to deliver flowers to this woman on a soap opera in the next studio over. And they gave me a name to say. So she goes, leave the flowers on this passenger seat, drive up, look confident, do not hesitate. Those are my instructions. It was like Mission Impossible. And so I drive up to the gate. Security's about to let me through. 
And then this woman, this other security person comes over and goes, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Who do you work for? You're delivering flowers, but what's your company name? And no one had told me that. (laughs) So I went, hang on, I'm just temping today, filling in for my friend. She's ill. I don't know the company name. Let me just call her and get it. So I pulled over to the side, rolled my windows up and called my boss at the magazine who was in a meeting. So they had to go and pull her out of this meeting. They were like, code red, get out of the meeting. So she comes on the line and she goes, what's going on? Just pretend. I said, we told her what was going on. She goes, right, I want you to pretend like you're still talking to me. I'm going to put you on hold. Keep moving your mouth like you're still talking so that they don't come over. Because the security guards are watching me through the window of my car while this is happening. Keep moving your mouth like we're still on the phone. I'm putting you on hold and I'm going to call our insider and get a name that we can that you can give them. So she goes off, she's gone for ages, and I'm just doing this. Like pretending <laughs> to have a conversation. And then she clicks back on the line, right? And she goes, Antonia, abort mission, abort mission. <laughs> I kid you not. That's Is that the woman we met at the party? Because I never know names. You know what I'm like. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Did we meet her? Was she yeah, there? We meet her after you'd interviewed Portia. And then we met her. And you were like, is that her, the main character? I don't know. I Oh, wait. Who are you talking about? The, the famous person. Um, no, Catherine Heigl wasn't there that day. She wasn't there. It was Ellen Pompeo that we talked to. She's the lead in the show. But Catherine used to be like the second lead. But anyway. That's so funny. My boss is like abort mission. And I just floored it. Did a U-turn. like Did a donut (laughs) in the parking lot. Turned back through the the security with the flowers. Like flying. The security's like, where are you going? And I just shot through the the barriers on the other side. It was honestly brilliant. But anyway, that's a really long-winded answer. Sorry. I love your long-winded answers. That's why I love you so much. Um, And before you ask me number three, please, just because you're such a good storyteller. And like, I mean, one of the reasons that I do this, as you know, you've known this for all the time I've been doing it. Um, I mean, after Robert passed away, what, 2018 now? Oh, that doesn't seem like that long. And we literally saw each other at his funeral and we're just like, hadn't seen each other for what, 17 years? Yeah. And then like now, sorry. That uh, And at that, it was at the wake we started talking. We were gossiping. And I said, I live in LA. Why don't you come and visit me? And you went, yeah, okay. And two weeks later, you were in LA. <laughs> and I'm like that though. I'll say to someone, yeah, okay. And then I actually do it. And you're the same way where, like, you know, in, in earlier this year, I said to you, let's go to Mexico. And you went, yeah, all right. <laughs> went, literally uh, 10 days later, we just went. Yeah. Then, you know, there's uh, most people spend ages fussing about and not doing stuff they say they're going to do. And I'm a big believer. And if you say you're going to do it, do it. And Don't I love, flake. I love. Never yeah. flake. <laughs> I love that about you. And I tell you what, if you flake, this woman tells you, she tells you, she'll pull you up. <laughs> oh, you good. don't flake. You're not a flaker. 
No, I know, but I know if I did, you'd you'd set me straight, which is good. There's not, you know, you you speak. Well, I truth. only I only bother setting people straight if I if that's an argument I want to get into because I care about that friendship. But you know, you're in trouble with me if I don't even tell you when there's a problem because then I'm like, nah. <laughs> that's what I always say to people. I'm like, you know, there's a problem when I stop talking. That's when there's a problem. Then you just can't, you're not invested. Yeah. It's a third question. And then then I've got to ask you a funny story to end on. You know what, you know the story I'm going to ask you about. Just think in your head. I don't. Okay. We'll ask you the third question. Okay. Okay. Um, Who was your early childhood inspiration? Was there a person in your life that really affected you? Yes, my English teacher actually. Um, I got um, I got thrown out of Tumbridge Grammar Togs, which is um, um, come on. I mean, like (laughs) not doing as I was told ever. Okay. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, But that that's like one of the hardest grammars to get into in the area. So I did pretty good. Got in there, and then I managed. I managed to do the fourth year. And then I got asked to leave. Um, I got asked to leave. My son would say, no, mum, you got expelled. No, I got asked to leave and I left. Okay. At my school, you were either asked to leave or expelled. And I I would have got, let's be honest, I would have got expelled. Well, yeah, asked to leave as being given a chance to not have that on your record. I left. Whereas if you're expelled, it's on your record. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I left and then no other grammar in the, um, in the town would take me weird that yeah um he has been that I mean it was funny when I met up with them all to talk to them about the soapbox was like last time I'd been in front of all you headmasters you were telling me a very different story right um but I went to another school called Uplands Community College where to show my dedication to the cause I had to repeat the fourth year I had to repeat my fourth year. Oh, so that's I had to so miserable. Yeah, they were like, We don't believe you're committed. The only way you're going to show us committed is to, to do your fourth year again. And um, I had this amazing English teacher, and I can't remember her name. So I felt incredibly, you know how bad I am with names. Um, mm. You'd remember her name. I won't. But mm. she, I remember she'd worked. If she's out there somewhere, please reach out to me because I would love to hear from her and see what she's doing. But she'd worked in McDonald's. And she always used to tell a story about how she'd worked for McDonald's, but she really wanted to be an English teacher. And then she became an English teacher. And I genuinely, she was one of the first people that ever said to me about my writing um, that, yeah, I mean, her and my grandmother Kit, my my grandmother Kit, when I was a child, um, she entered me for a writing competition and I won it when I was about six. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't write, do I? I talk, but I don't write. But well, clearly, it's... you can. You just don't so much now. Yeah, I mean, we, you, and I know that's a whole other conversation. But it's um, she was really inspirational. I remember writing something from my heart, and her saying, she just gave me like the strength to believe in myself. And I'd come from a really bad time, and it had been a really horrible experience. And I'd come into school, and I was a bit of a goth, and I was a bit of a freak. Everyone was like looking at me like, oh, she's a year, you know, back that you were like a year older, but actually it's quite, you know, it's like you're 10 years older than everyone else. Yeah. Or DMs and whatever. 
um, and she was amazing. And um, fair play to her. I got double A's in my English GCSE. I mean, that's the only the only A's I think I got, but um, I got something. So, but no, she. Well, I hope she, she in touch with you. I hope she hears. I hope it. so. I hope so. She was very. She really. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and mm. I think that's what is really a beautiful gift to give people, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, that's really. I hear that a lot when I ask people that question. Most people will say that it was someone that saw something in them and told them that they should believe in themselves. Like that's so important when you're. I mean, I think I need that now. I, <laughs> not just when you're a kid, right? I mean, we need it every day, right? Yeah. So we what's the funny? Day. What's the funny story? Okay, well, look, we can either ask you the... I'll give you a choice, because we're wrapping up soon. Um, And also, I want to talk to you just about loads of stuff that's not going to be aired on YouTube. (laughs) So, what we can either talk about the third question, this is your choice, or you can let me ask you about an incident that happens that makes me laugh from my belly. You know the one. I don't. What are you talking about? Okay, well, choose. Either tell me who inspires you the most, or I let me ask you the question. You choose. Who inspired me as a child? Just ask me the question. I can't okay. deal with not knowing. Okay. <laughs> what happened with the rat? Which one? There's been so many. The rat in the shower. Oh, that one. Oh. Yes. God, I was going to say, I've had so many experiences with rats. Isn't that weird? Yeah, exactly. But at the moment, I'm dealing with them in my ceiling. But that's an LA problem, very common. Um, Please share the story of your rat experience. Oh, it will encapsulate. It will encapsulate your your spirit of adventure. Okay. Your dynamic personality that not everyone <laughs> knows. Uh, okay, so I was with my then boyfriend, Ollie, um, from college, and we were backpacking around Southeast Asia. And we went to a little set of islands in Malaysia called the Perencians. And at the time, oh, it's so changed now, but this was probably, you know, 96, something like that. Um, and you could only get in and out on a little you know basic boat and there were only wooden huts and there was no electricity at all they had a generator but the generator would turn off I think 6 p.m and then they would put an oil lamp on your stoop of your little wooden bungalow on the beach and I mean it was magical it's a magical place I'll never forget it I mean I was swimming in this turquoise sea with giant turtles and parrotfish and you know there was just no damage to the coral reef water was clear it was so beautiful um and you know no roads or anything on that isle that any of those islands so one of the problems with staying there is that they had really limited accommodation but you just have to do a wing and a prayer kind of deal because you get such a long journey to get there, multiple buses and trains and then a boat. Um, and on our boat was this guy, this electrician from Manchester called Paul. I remember him. And he I remember he was slicking, he was going bald and he was slicking back his hair with coconut oil. 
um, which now I just think, my God, the sunburn. But anyway, <laughs> we're on a burning sun on this boat in the tropical sea. Mm. But, um, when we get to the shore, like I was like a machine. I was I would like target and get us a better room because I was like, we are not missing out on the last available room and we got the very last one and poor Paul had nowhere because he was sort of you know one of those dudes that's like yeah I'll, I guess I better find a room you know and then of course they're all gone uh so we said you know you can sleep on our floor like we'll give you loads of cushions and everything because you've got nowhere to stay so him Paul and Ollie were playing drafts in the in the main room and we had the oil lamp light so it's really like dim and I was going to go and take a shower and I didn't have a towel I had a sarong that you you know when you have a sarong and you wrap it around you and you cross it over at the neck and tie it behind your neck and that was what I wore all the time for instead of a towel because carrying a towel is cumbersome It's a lot of space and weight, right? And everything was about paring down your backpack. So the point of the story is we had one oil lamp and these two guys playing a game of checkers and me and my sarong going into this bathroom, which is, you know, like a hole in the floor for the toilet. And then the shower is like a pipe that spits water on your head. Um and it's tiny. It's like a little metal cupboard. You know, the door is metal. Um, and there was this smell the whole time. And it was monsoon season. And I remember Ollie said, I know that smell from somewhere. I've smelt that before. And it was a really odd, sort of fairly unpleasant smell. And what was happening was that the the flood water was rising up into the drains and so unbeknownst to me that meant that like things that had been living in the pipes would start to come up so I go into the the shower in the pitch black okay because it's nighttime on an island there's no artificial light they've got the only oil lamp I'm like I'm just going to do this by feel but I have to shower and feel gross I've been traveling all day And I turn on the water, take off the sarong. So I'm standing there with no clothes on, obviously. And something catapults, I kid you not, catapults out of of the plug hole. And it's like this greasy black. Sorry, sorry. What? (laughs) I'm only laughing because I know this story. I love it every time. Oh, yeah. So it's like this greasy black thing. And it is, I mean, I'm tall. I'm like five, nine. And it was jumping straight from the plug hole and hitting me like this, like here and here, like just bouncing off my body. And I could just feel this like, and I could kind of dimly in the moonlight coming through this little tiny window, make out this sort of creature that was flying at me. And I'm like, okay, I have two choices one is to run naked out of this shower screaming my head off 
which is what every cell of my being wanted to do. Because you can imagine you're trapped in a tiny metal box with a, a wet rat. <laughs> very aggressive wet rat very panicky rat mm. um and the other choice was to calmly put on my sarong <laughs> while this rat was propelling itself at my face and stuff and not be naked in front of paul the electrician from manchester so i chose option two because obviously there was no way that i was going to do that so I wrap the sarong, I'm like, you know, trying to do deep breathing. I get the sarong in the dark and I figure it out. So I'm like covered. And then I run out of the bathroom going, oh my God, oh my God, you know, screaming. And the two guys, my boyfriend and Paul from Manchester, they're like sitting there doing the checkers and they both, it's like a rom-com or something. They just went, huh? And just carried on like nothing had happened. <laughs> huh? And I went, don't you see me? Like there was a rat and it's like bouncing off my body. And I was like trapped in there with this rat. And they could not have cared less. But sometime later in the evening, Ollie goes, oh, that's what that smell is. It's rats rotting in the pipes because they've all drowned. Because I don't know why he'd, he'd been somewhere that was flooded and had that experience before, but. I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. No one cared. Oh, and while we're just to wrap this up. Yeah. On that same trip. Yeah. I got bitten by a snake. And oh, I, yes! started, I, start, I started losing my balance because that's one of the things with snake venom, right? I didn't know this at the time. I was like, I feel really odd. Like the horizon keeps shifting like this. And I keep feeling like, really odd like like every, my balance is just really off and I realized I'd got bitten by a snake while I was climbing through some thorny trees and it had I had these two holes on my ribs from its fangs oh, and I and Ollie my boyfriend was in the middle of another game of drafts <laughs> this was with these other two guys we'd met somewhere there's a, a theme here, honey. There's a theme. I know, right? This was a different island. This was in Thailand on Koh Tao. And these two guys and him, and they were so stoned and that they couldn't speak. And I kept going, you've been bitten. There's a snack that like I was so confused. <laughs> I couldn't articulate. I was and honestly, I'm so lucky I'd be dead. Because there was no hospital and no planes, and the nearest hospital was I think six hours on a boat so I got really really lucky I got some random sort of lame snake that bit me <laughs> anyway you I just I love the fact and we, you and I always talk about this like we both how does this find us but it does and it's always funny we see the funny side of it always we shouldn't be allowed to go anywhere together honestly I mean we we, we have had many adventures, haven't we, right? So it's been, yeah. it's been learning. It's, I mean, last time we went away together to Tulum, I think you lost your wallet three times. <laughs> Don't all, give all my secrets away. I think all kinds of, you know, it, it was a miracle that we got home unscathed, honestly. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm four months sober and it started in Tulum. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. No, you... 
You didn't get sober while we were there, though, did you? It was when you got No, back. definitely not. I was definitely not. But I think you pointed out I might need to. <laughs> I don't think I said anything. You but did. I did, I did think it. <laughs> you gently nudged. You gently. So I think when I fell over in the street, you were like. Did I? I don't remember what I said. You were worried about me grazing my arm. Oh, yeah. You did hurt yourself. Yeah. But anyway, mm. I listen, the greatest gift that our friend Robert gave us was our friendship. I think we can agree on that. Absolutely. Plus lots of really, really good times when he was still here. I mean, yeah. Like so many good memories. So many memories. And also all our tribe. I mean, I'm drinking out of the cup that you can't see, but it's the one that when you fill it up, has got Christian's mad head on it and... There's many things that have led to many wonderful things that started with Robert. So um, certainly my New Year cheers would be to Robert. And I mean, what would you say to people for, because this will be the first episode of the New Year. Have you got any words of wisdom, Antonia, that you would share oh, with people? Words of wisdom from me. That's, that's, that's like... Putting you on the spot. No, I was going to say that's sort of an oxymoron, you know, words of wisdom from me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. All I can say is that this, I can say what I'm thinking about this new year. Um, and that is that you are not where you are in your life and what you're worth has nothing to do with your experiences so far. You can start over and be whoever you want anytime you want. Like you could do that today. I love that. Yeah. What about you? Okay. Well, listen. Thank you so much for coming wait, on. Wait, you didn't. You didn't wait. You didn't say yours. Oh, mine's like irrelevant. This is about you. No, it isn't. I want to know what your what your New Year thought thought is. Come on. Mine is just. I mean, mine is with fresh eyes. Mine is trust the process and hmm. take each day as it comes. I mean, literally take each day at a time. You know. Yeah. Worry about the future. Hasn't happened yet. Past is gone. Keep it in the day. It's the best mm -hmm. advice I've been given this year. And I'm going to keep it, take that through with me next year because as long as I do the next right thing, everything seems to work out. And even like this situation, you've been in one more partner with me. I wish we were curled up on the sofa together eating Thai from like we always in our favorite watching our favorite 80s movies like we do every Christmas yeah. but you know what I've been able to give my beautiful friends with a, an experience that she needs two days apiece so and we got to do a podcast which we've wanted to do for ages so so those those are yeah you're right it's it look, not Keep just looking for the silver lining but it's just do what what is right in front of you yeah 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 well thank you thank you for having me on I've loved the it. big chat really fun yeah, yeah I, I mean, think we should send this to Rob's sisters and <laughs> I'm gonna yeah so, with the big shout out to Viv and Susan yeah and Franco absolutely. Obviously. absolutely yeah we'll do that all right okay well listen my love, love. I'll speak to you in about 10 minutes off air but big love thanks for love joining you. love you bye bye bye